Having a Gas is the podcast that chats to the great and the good of the creative industries. And in particular, it finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for cooking to, for dancing to, f***ing to, and more. Today, I'm having a gas with Hugh Todd, an advertising creative director who's done it all. From his humble beginnings as an undergraduate student of building construction technologies here in Manchester, through a string of top-level creative agencies, to eventually becoming one of the most awarded creatives in the business. Uh, okay, Hugh. So. Uh, I'll pretend I don't know you, which I do most of the time anyway. <laughs> what's um, what's keeping you busy at the moment? Great. You seem such a nice bloke. I know. Uh, yes, lovely to see you, mate. Um, I'm fine. I'm, um, yeah, like the rest of the country, feeling a little bit stir crazy mm. in my house, but feeling very lucky that um, I'm healthy and, uh, you know, I've got a family around me and, you know, I've got, you know, that it does make you feel quite humble and, um, you know, lucky, lucky to have what I have. Um, but specifically today, if you're on a brief breakdown, I woke up, at, uh, I thought it was half seven, but it was quarter past six. So, and I legged it downstairs, thought I was going to walk the dog, and I went around the park, and there's literally no, no one there, which is great. But um, I've been up for a long time. Good. Uh, which is fine, I've been very, I've been doing loads of things. I'm writing a piece for Shots Mag, I'm, I'm preparing for this, I'm going to have to cook dinner soon for the kids. So yeah, there's always stuff going on. And how's it going uh, having uh, having the kids back around 24-7? How are they coping? You don't have kids, do you, Greg? Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very mean. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's a bit like, this is going to sound mean, and it's not meant to be, but it's like going through a gorge, right? I don't think you walk through a gorge. So what, I went with Rach, my, my wife, uh, through a gorge once, and so the first third of it, you're going, Fucking hell, this is like amazing. Like it's a divot in the, uh, in the Earth's crust and you're marvelling at it and you're just loving it. And in the middle bit, you go, okay, you know, it's a kind of gorge, yeah, we're here. And then the last bit is going, get me out of this fucking gorge, I need a beer. Yes. <laughs> so it's been a bit like that so far, which is, oh my God, isn't it great? We're all here, you know, let's party on and have some fun. And isn't it um, uh, sort of like, it's all new and kind of, always exciting. But, you know, it's kind of... Um, there was something kind of interesting and sort of fun about it. And then like in the middle of it, it's going, oh shit, it's going to go on. And now we're in a kind of, it's going on and on and everyone needs to, you just not, we're not built to spend as much time together. So, um, but I think, you know, we're making a good fist of it. Every now and again, I just say things like, I just feel irritated and I don't explain. And then everyone else has to say the same. So uh, we, we go to different places in the house and, no, it's I know fine. exactly what you mean. Yeah, because I was, uh, I think I'm in the same place as you. I was opining this morning that, not to make light of it, the lockdown honeymoon is over. Like, this is the moment where it's properly set in. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good expression. Honeymoon, I'd say, yeah, you're on about, could be on to your second or third wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you saw this morning uh, or yesterday afternoon with the Chris Whitty, chief medical, saying, don't expect this to end like that it's not going to go back to normal straight away probably not till next year and i think now it's only just setting in after about a month of denial yeah i mean anyway yeah that that without getting into that too much yeah i found that slightly a scaremongery thing to say to people like everyone's a bit on edge you know give us a bit of hope fella you know yeah well that's it and it's not like you've not had your uh Let's say you've done a lot of work with the NHS as your T-shirt shows. Do you want to stand up and give us a bit of a view of the uh, just do it? There you go. Yeah, it's not. I'm not just wearing an NHS top, which which is like commendable. So this is a uh, this is a thing. I, I had this about two years now. I just want to say, in case people think I've just bought it, um, it's an artist called Johnny Bangs, I think. And I was alerted to it when we direct when we shot a piece. Uh, we shot a piece with a guy called Dan Emerson, a brilliant director, a young guy. And uh, Dan, Dan had one, and I said, shit, I want one of those. Yeah. And uh, he put it onto his website, and I think the government shut it down. I don't know if they, I think now they might not. Um, but uh, yeah, I wear it with pride, and I think it, I don't know, I couldn't, I had to have this debate with somebody the other day about brands and why this works, and it just has the right feeling for me. And uh yeah, just let's just get on with it, you know. Well, before I uh, drag you through a load of uh, music talk, tell us briefly about the work you've done for and with the NHS, for those who might not already know. Um, about two years ago, I went to an agency called Mullen Lowe, 
And I was, uh, my first week, I was told I was pitching for the NHS, which was um, an exciting and daunting prospect. Um, and I did it with Louisa Silburn, this wonderful Swedish art director who I ended up working with for two years. And we won it with a, just a very big, simple idea called We Are the NHS. And then it started a kind of two-year period of just doing loads and loads of work with them. And they're a brilliant client. There's a guy uh, called Ian, who's just an amazing client. And he just loved everything we did and we had a very easy relationship because he he understood advertising he didn't get in the way uh, and we had a great time we, we shot i think about four or five quite big commercials always in um hospitals always using real staff everything was real um part of our pitch was we said you, you know if you've got a show that's called 24 hours in a and e you can't then run an nhs ad after it which is all like saccharin and sugar-coated and like done by little wankers and so it's got to be real you know yeah so um yeah. i mean it's still be written by little wankers and so but <laughs> it, you know you, want to, you need to set it well it needs to be real you know because all these reality shows are are real so that was our first thing we um and that was our first rule and then after that everything kind of fell out quite naturally so it was an amazing journey um we did stuff specifically uh, for nursing, which was huge. We did thing for male nursing, which is quite a taboo thing still, sadly. Uh, there's only one in 10 nurses are men, so we need more of those. Um, and we did tons of online stuff for nurses returning. So we got nurses who had been working and then returned. Uh, as I left, there was a very exciting project, which I can't talk about, um, but it's one of the most exciting things I've worked on. It wasn't an advert or anything. It's an actual product we're trying to make for the NHS. It's not a visor or anything or a, a bib, you know, like for um, coronavirus. It was something, it's something else. Um, hopefully, we, I'll tell you again, hopefully in a few months' time. But it was an incredibly productive and fun period. And, um, yeah, I couldn't speak, obviously, high enough of, of the NHS and the way they... They work with us. The NHS as such, as a working body, is very much in the news right now. But uh, from a creative perspective, from an advertising perspective, could you like show us behind the curtain of that copy, We Are the NHS? Like, What does that say? What's that trying to get through to me as a, as a viewer? It's quite a simple line, and to be fair, you know, I've been around the block, and I know that it's not a new line. You know, I've seen it on gazillions of things. I, we didn't openly um, rip it up off or copy someone. I think we had three routes and it was just one which um, sort of surmised how they felt because they wanted it to be the whole of the workforce. But then it also wanted to be engaging with the public. So you wanted, we wanted, the, the aim was to make people feel pride in the NHS and then, you know, make them feel so good that they would actually, you know, get involved and, um, become part of it you know the recruitment drive so it, it was a sort of it was a bit it's a very emotive piece i don't think you can have one without the other you can't go and work somewhere where let's face it you're not as well paid as other jobs without some other hook so the the hook is is, is sort of slightly unashamedly emotional and um you know every commercial we made we that was our start points how are we going to dial up this sort of you know hugely human quality um, and then pull people in and then say look come and be part of it and I think so the we the we was the whole nation the we is the whole of the NHS but the we can be a bunch of nurses or it can be doctors or it can be paramedics you know it's a very big what I call a big fat platform idea you can go and stick it on an email you can stick it on a massive film you can put it on your business card you know whatever and you can make the top cloud out of it. I actually did someone's leaving card with it. It's just one of those ones. It's great. I mean, but like I'd say, as a, you know, I'm a pretty spotty creative. I know that the line isn't super like we are and just put your brand here. Anyone can do that. But it, it just landed really well for us. And so we went with it. And I think, um, you know, every time they threw something at us and go, right, it's male nursing. Uh, now it's... Um, returning nurses now it's paramedics now it's radiographers you just it would just fit really well so it was um i could see why they fell in love with it um as a as a big platform idea i despite the fact that i know that you uh, have been creative director on a lot of projects and you've been in the london creative scene uh i think and th uh, this might upset you since i was in nursery school um <laughs> 
Yeah. I don't know much about. <laughs> I still don't know much about your relationship with music and and how it how it fits into your creative. So maybe we'll shed a bit of light on this, running down these questions. So obviously, number yeah. one, is it uh, a vitamin or a painkiller to you? Is music a luxury or is it something that's necessary in your life? Um, I think it's both and more. Uh, okay. I think yeah, that's not helpful, is it? Um, <laughs> It's going to be a really short podcast. I think, um, I think, uh, yeah, I think it's, it depends on the mood, I suppose. Um, it's, I think it's a necessity for me. I, I love music. I love having it around me, whether I'm working, socializing, trying to sleep, get, get motivated, cook, dance, drink, you know, there's the music will always be there as, um, as a as your partner and or not a partner, as, as Mr. Gas Gary Hilton will know, your music is a huge part of our lives at university. And then when I grew up with Mick, my greatest mate, we were just obsessed with funk, uh, jazz funk, and then the Gaz. It was more like indie and stuff. And I think that's sort of carried on now. But I, I suppose I'm an old, a slightly older fellow than yourself, as you mentioned. So I kind of um, I have different tastes for different moments and it, particularly at the moment um, with the coronavirus thing, keeping people at home, I think music is crucial to, for people's sanity and their th I just met a guy actually, I was walking around the block to do my regular 11 o'clock power walk uh, before I have a coffee and I saw my mate Michael who lives around the corner and we, we were two metres apart but he said on Zoom every Friday there's a house party and everyone sort of makes a playlist and they all dance in their little box on the screen, which I thought was brilliant. Um, so, you know, I think it's, um, yeah, for me, it is, it is a necessity. It, 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 it's, and I think the main thing is it's like, it is like a drug. You know, music is, it's one of those things, it's one of the closest natural highs you can get. You can stick a tune on, you can feel like tingles all over your body. You can literally feel your skin moving and you, you can, you can dance singing or dancing. And then it, you, you, this is all free. You know, if you've got Spotify or your CD or whatever, but it's not like you haven't had to go and, go and buy it and sneak outside or do something naughty. It's all there. <laughs> and so I suppose that's why this is great. I think it's a great idea for a podcast because um, music is amazing. Yeah. Do you actually, so it sounded like the way you were describing it there, you actually use music to influence your mood. You are to change it as opposed to sensing the mood you have and trying to match music to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, if I'm going to go for a run, so I need something very, it's all really obvious, this, but you know, if you're going for a run, I need something incredibly energetic and lively and slightly naff, I think, to get me in the mood. Um, if I'm cooking, my, um, I'll always have jazz. I don't know why, but I just love jazz and cooking and yeah. getting into my little zone and, you know, kind of John Coltrane or Miles Davis or something like that. Uh, but then, like, if I'm writing... I'm oh, sorry, Greg, I know this is this is sort of for later on, but I'm just in the zone now. But sometimes when I write, I think it's either got to be pretty quiet. I'm not... It's. A, I think it's a myth to be sitting in an agency environment or any environment with really loud music on. Yeah, I can kind of just vibe with this yeah. I mean so I, I can't I have to have um, my absolute staples are KLF Chill Out which is uh, one of the finest albums of all time uh, just because it is a, a soundscape but then there are bits in it which go Ooh. like the uh, whenever the sheep come in um, I notice my dog pops her head up and like she's going what's going on which I thought was really funny and then sometimes it's a train that goes from one um, ear to the other which if I'm, if I'm writing I love that sort of feeling and then I like a bit of Brian Eno Thursday afternoon uh, no matter what day of the week it is I like that uh, but it's got to be something very backgroundy there's another guy oh, I can't remember his name he's a classical music guy it's kind of what's called water music it's like if you heard it you just think fucking hell that's really naff but it, when you're trying to write or just get into that place it, it's really helpful because it's just you know, it's sort of, it's not quite whale music, but it's, uh, so there's all that going on. And then, yeah, I think with the kids, because my kids are teenagers now, they're teenage girls, um, and they're really into music. I mean, massively. It's like one of the biggest parts of their life. So grime music is uh, permanently on in our house, which I find 
good. I, I really love, I love it. And I say, that's a riff from James Brown, you know, that, or that's, I don't know, that's from Hamilton Bahamut, or that's, I don't know, Nitro Deluxe. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And then I'll play it to him and I'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I think, I, I actually think there's not many moments in this house when there isn't music going. My wife would, I think, love it if it was just a bit quieter. Music for when you're working, it sounded like you don't have anything that marks time, so nothing with punctuation, nothing with a beat. That's a, no, that's a, I've never even thought about it. That's a really good point. So number two, is there a record that changed your life? Is there something that altered the trajectory significantly? I think that is one of the meanest questions um, you can ask someone, but also the greatest, because it's like a... Uh, well, Desert Island Discs, they asked for 12 or something, or eight, so... Uh, I don't know. I, th- I did have a think about this um, earlier today. I mean, I, I've, I've got, I'm going to have five, right? And I'm not going to spend too long on them apart from one of them. But I'm sure whoever you ask this to is going to come up with all sorts of interesting stuff. And I think it's very hard to say um, if one record changes your life because your life is in so many different sections. But here it goes. Um, Uncertain Smile by Zaza is an amazing song, both the uh, sax solo and the keyboard solo versions, for the musos out there. And uh, when I grew up with Mick Greeny in Oxford, um, we were really into jazz funk actually, and early George Benson and um, Incognito and stuff like this, Maze. But weirdly, just before the end, uh, when I left to go to university, we got into a bit more of um of an indie vibe, if that was what it was called, and the other came up and we started really getting into them. So Uncertain Smile, uh, we just loved that. We knew every word to it. We'd sing it along and we'd pissed. And it was like a real moment of, of me and him. And then in a similar sort of vein, when I got to Manchester University, I met Gaz, Mr. Gas, And, um, oh, we had so many tunes we loved. But Walk On By by The Stranglers was, um, we would just listen to it. We would air guitar. <laughs> And then keep air keyboard, and then air everything, and then we'd be drinking on the back, on the back um, terrace with a spliff, and just watch the sun raise and go down. Shocking behaviour, but uh, it's become one of our sort of uh, tunes. And you just have to hear the first two uh, guitar chords, and you're there. And then there's a bit of an, I'm getting more now towards. It's probably one of the three most important people in my life, my two best mates, and my wife. So the next one is. Uh, I love early Marvin Gaye stuff. I mean, I love all the Marvin Gaye stuff, but his very early stuff is so amazing. Um, and there's a song called If I Should Die Tonight, which I think is uh, an incredible song. I'm going to get a bit emotional if I talk about that too much, but um, it's all about realising what you've got. Yeah. Um, I Am The Resurrection by The Stone Roses. Completely different, but um, I love The Stone Roses for millions of reasons. Some bands have five albums and are all shit, and The Stone Roses had one, and it was just the most fucking brilliant one ever. Yeah. And I, I could still play it from the beginning to end. I saw them at Finsbury Park when they were down, and me and Rach loved Stoney's, um, and I Am The Resurrection was one when we were courting, and we were both a bit nervous of each other. Um, so we'd have to drink a lot of whiskey, and then we'd stick this on and jump up and down on a sofa, and it kind of broke the ice a bit as you were. Um, but it's such a big question um, and I tried to give it a big answer. So I think um, my life was changed when I met my wife, Rachel. She's an amazing woman. I'm very lucky to be married to her and hopefully she feels the same about me. And um, on our wedding day, we had a dance. You know, when, when you get married, Greg, this lamb to uh, you have a dance and everyone has to watch. It's a kind of classic, you know, everyone sort of does that. Um, and we chose um, a dance from Saturday Night Fever, one of our favourite films. And it's John Travolta and Stephanie, the character Stephanie, and there it's uh, More Than a Woman. And it's their first um, showcase dance at this club. And so we learned this dance in the front room of our flat and reenacted it at the wedding. And it was definitely, there's so many things, because the song is called More Than A Woman, which is, she's more than a woman to me. It was great feeling dancing in front of my mates. But for, for a split second, I thought I was John Travolta. Yeah, that is the natural <laughs> consequence. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I kind of, I won't reenact it here now, but, you know, maybe next time we'll, uh, we'll give it a go. But it was, uh, 
there's a lot of associations with it. And recently, um, a friend of mine, Paul Tatlock, Tatty, Mr. T, uh, framed the single and sent it to me with an anniversary plaque on it. And um, it's, um, it's in the corridor upstairs in the house. And uh, yeah, so it's a biggie. That's the biggie. Uh, and you've already touched on this a bit, but if there's any more depth, tell me how music's playing a part in your life during COVID-19, during the lockdown. I don't know the COVID-19 thing. It's like, it hasn't changed that much. I think I still, I'm still into the same tunes and stuff. I think... Um, if I'm being really honest, I don't listen to the radio so much. I'm really scared of listening to the radio because I get very... So, so basically what I do in the morning, we'd have Radio 4 on for the news, so that's fucking out now. I just don't want to hear any news because it just sends me into a spiral of despair. Uh, and then I'd probably put Six Music on, so I love Six. And I used to love it when Sean Keaveney was on Breakfast. I kind of like Lauren Laverne, not as much, and I'm getting into it now. Uh, so... That would kind of be my music, but I'd normally go to work. So if I'm here, I can't, I can't have music all day um, because I'm doing lots of different things. Uh, so, but if I'm writing, like I said, I'll have a very chilled out piece. But I think, I think under this sort of circumstance, we need to change the moods in the, house, in the mood in the house quite quickly. Sometimes people can get really upset. There's four of us. We're all, we're all girls, really. I'm a bit of a girl. And uh, so we all get, we're all quite moody. Um, and so I think music can really help that or it can really screw things up. Like, so I think it's, um, it does play a huge part. And then in my house, all these houses are right next to each other, like everywhere in London, we're all on top of each other. And so you can hear music come over the fence or through the wall. So weirdly last night, I think I was in the garden doing something and I heard there's two houses down, there's some doctors and nurses, believe it or not, live in there. We love them, and we're always, we always clap them on a Thursday, you know. And I heard them playing um, Sister Sleds, um, Thinking of You. And I was like, oh, God, I love that. So I legged it. I came inside, quickly got on Spotify, and we're all singing along to it. And I love that way of... So that was a kind of taking someone else's music just organically over the fence, you know? Yeah. Um, I think generally, I, I, yeah, I think it's been big... It, I think its role has just been amplified because I already rely on music a lot in my life. So it hasn't changed too much. I think I've probably been listening to a little bit more chilled out stuff. And I've also been doing more podcasts. Um, I know that's not music, but it is a kind of, it's a piece of audio and it's um, so, you know, this is a podcast now and I've, I've got mine and it's huge. And it's very calming hearing another voice in a room which you don't, like I listen to two or three podcasts, which I just don't have to tune into. You like Komodo yeah. Mayo or Adam Buxton or someone, it's just like chattering away. And I quite like the company. You know, I'm yes. like that. I, I kind of, so I kind of, yeah, I think that's how, that's how we're coping. Yeah. It's good on the podcast thing. Uh, it's, 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 like what obviously the purpose of talk radio serve, but it can be so much more specific. Obviously, you know, you do one and you know so many in the creative community. But when did, when did you notice the sort of the podcast Big Bang? Because obviously now it looks like there's 10 a penny, here's another. Uh, but it feels like five years ago, they weren't so, you know, they weren't everywhere. Well, yeah, it's a good question, Greg. I don't know. I mean, it, like you said, everyone's doing it and they're great. And you can have them the most niche subject possible. I, I think the Komodo Mayo one was the film one I liked. And I've been listening to that for a very long time. It's very soothing because it gives you a, um, it gives you a really good update on films. But they're very clever the way they chat because they're, they're incredibly aware of people's mental health and issues that affect, affect people and how just listening to a couple of blokes chatting can make people feel better. Because you just don't know what's going on behind closed doors, especially now in coronavirus, how people's only connection with the outside world might be a podcast or a phone yeah. call or a Zoom thing. So I think pods are amazing at that. I, I started listening to, I think probably, um, oh Christ, what's his name? I forget his name now. Malcolm Gladwell. Started listening to his stuff, you know, Tipping Point and Blink and all of that. You know, I was interested to hear him. And he's got an amazing voice. So as well as his writing is good, is that's the other thing on pods, I think. If you like the voice, 
Um, I listened to this one called Series, actually, which was about a murder. Uh, and it was done, it was, it was the original one. It was done in real time. A guy had killed someone who's in jail. He's been tried. And this American woman, um, I'll remember her name in a minute, and she is Sarah, it'll come back to me. She's got an amazing voice, fantastic, really kind of listenable to, is that a word? And so I got really into that. So I did like, did that whole series. And, but I don't, I have no idea if that was at the beginning, but it was certainly a few years ago. And I could, I could see how people were into it, but it seemed like kind of quite complicated or, a, you know, I don't know, something for other people, but actually it's, you know, it's very, um, very demographic, dem- democratic, isn't it? Everyone can actually, you just need a microphone, right? And a- yeah, yeah. I think the first, uh, the, the first thing for me was noticing that, you know, Joe Rogan had become the most, probably the most listened to and watched broadcaster in the world, just on the strength of his podcast where, you know, he invites random people in. There's no brief, there's no theme to his podcast. And it's the fact, uh, I think, that people are talking in a conversational way, you know, as opposed to in traditional media where it has to be very tight because you've got your five minutes. Uh, I think people, like you said, enjoy listening to the music of conversation rather than a bullet point in a script. Yeah, um, absolutely. And also, like I said, I like radio because it's like a friend in the room and you don't have to sort of don't have to follow a narrative or anything but the trouble is with radio at the moment is i just find it really depressing and even if it's not a news program like radio 4 which is amazing but i just i can't do with hearing all the updates and the news it's just depressing so then if you listen even to a six music every half hour there will be news so i kind of just think like the thing about no full stops, I just don't want to be in a place where I'm going to be in a live place. So that's what a podcast does. You know, like you said, you stick it on. It's a better company, but it, it, it's not live. And I like that. So you're in control of it as well. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to open my bottle. It's not alcoholic. It's ginger beer. I just, um, I'd like to add, but if you, I'm going to make some noise. No, that's, yeah. Everyone, everybody in the room, make some noise for Hughes, non-alcoholic <laughs> ginger beer. Cheers, there you Zay. go. Was there any music that your parents did not like you listening to? Um, I don't know, really. I think when I was a kid, um, I was best mates with this guy, Mick, who I'm still great friends with now, as I talked about. And I liked him because he was on the other side of the tracks. Uh, but, you know, and, all, and he had, like, all the things I wanted. Like, at ITV, they had takeout food, um, they had the Sun newspaper. I mean, they were all literally in our house. I just didn't know those things existed. ITV, no way. The BBC, there's organic homemade food by my mother, which was great. But at the time, you know, as a kid, you always wanted other things. And, so, and, and in music, it was the same. Mick was, um, his brother was really into jazz funk and we got into jazz funk, but I kind of wasn't really allowed to go and buy any or anything. And so we'd go around to his and listen to it really loud. And there was no problem with that. Um, and so when I tried doing that at home, I used to get a bit of a bollocking. So I think, I don't even know whether it was the type of music, just the loud, or just the sort of volume. But I think before that, I was into um, the Beatles, you know, like everyone else. And I remember recording the Beatles on a tape recorder, holding the microphone, you know, to the tape, to the um, record player. And you could hear my mum in the background saying, dinner's ready and all that. So it's kind of kind of comedy, but I think, we listen to the top 20, you know, and you'd press play and record on the, on the tracks you loved. Or sometimes you try and record the whole top 20. You'd have to get a C60 and turn it over. Yeah. Oh, those were days. But I think, yeah, I don't, I don't think mum and dad hated funk or jazz funk or, or anything I listened to that much. I think it was just the volume. And I always have this obsession, which I'm sure you lot have, and anyone who's into their tunes, a decent intro in a track got it loud so I used to just get this whatever the track was cameo or whoever and I'd just whack it up and I'd just love it and I'd wait for them to come in and go turn that down you know and be like one of those yeah alright alright so that's so your parents were cool but are you cool is there anything that we've obviously touched on grime with, uh, with the young guns is there anything that unsettles you yeah I was thinking about this I mean it's kind of I don't actually hate any of the music, and this is going to sound really pretentious and wanky, okay, but I'm going to say it, because 
I'm hoping they've inherited my eclectic taste of music. There you go, said it, eclectic, wanker. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> I, I love, you know, everything from like stranglers and punk, then I got into funk, then I got into kind of like, I don't know, do you call it new wave or indie? And then, uh, I don't know, just everything like classical, I love classical, you know, and then chill out. And then, I mean, I can't, I don't name every musical genre there is, but I've got a very broad uh, taste. I just heard some Pearl Jam on um, Keevney's Lunchtime show just now. I love Pearl Jam. Eddie Vedder, Doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of go, but that's the thing I was saying about music, you know, it's like a drug and it just gets better. And then the more you, the more you dig into it and explore and find, the more you think, oh God, I love, you know, I love London Grammar, but then I love, I don't know, Miles Davis, but then I love, and he, he kind of, they, as soon as someone did this, um, sure you're aware of this, these rock family trees where, you know, when a band, someone leaves a band and forms another band and then that bloke went out with someone and they, and they're, they're these, they're these huge sort of like, um, like bits of DNA really for music, but how yeah. you know, Led Zeppelin are related to, I don't know, The Who or whatever, there'll be some way through it. And that is a bit like our taste in the way you can go, well, I got into New Order because I met Gaz and then because of Gaz I got into a band and then, you know, and I, I love that about music. It, it is one of those things that it just keeps giving. Um, sorry, so in a very roundabout way, I'm going to get back to your question, which was my kids, um, they like a lot of grime music or, you know, it's like aggressive rap. Uh, they're not, I don't know if there's any Driller. Maybe we do have Driller, I'm not sure. But um, they both get, a, they've been to wireless. And actually some, I love some of the music, it's fantastic. It's like, you know, kind of like I was saying, it's sort of redolent of funk and, you know, hip hop and soul. Uh, I kind of just get a bit knacked off some of the lyrics because they're quite, they're quite misogynistic sometimes, and I sort of say, "Look, you shouldn't try not to listen to that one." But you know, they don't. I'm not going to give them a heavy hit on that because that's me being a dad, and I'm yeah. I'm a bit of a dad already quite a lot of time. But then the other day, I was thinking, I couldn't believe it. They were upstairs, and I listened. So first of all, I heard uh, Oasis, and then I heard the Beatles. I was like, "Oh, that must be someone else over the hedge," and it was them. And I said, "Was that you?" She said, "Yeah, no." We're into a bit of that, Dad. And I was like, okay, great. So, you know, the journey continues, like, you know, the education, and I hadn't sort of forced it on them. I think the trouble is if I say, hey, listen to this, this is great, they think, oh, shit, Dad, Dad, tell us what to do again. Um, the thing that is a bit weird in this house, which is, is the thing, I'll go and get it, it's the, um, it's these things. Is that um, Alexa? No, no, oh, it's not no, no. I've, yeah, I've got one of those here in uh, in uh, white. Yeah, that fella. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Hey. So, <laughs> just it's just a speaker. But when we went on a holiday a few years ago, uh, the house we were staying in had these, um, and uh, they were amazing. So we bought everyone one of these. But then the trouble is, everyone just walks, and they're obviously incredibly powerful, brilliant quality. You know, so everyone just Dorothy particularly my youngest and I quite often walk around with your speaker going, here I come, this is me, get out of the way. So sometimes we clash. And then also we clash as in our Bluetooths get confused. Yeah. So sometimes it's double orcs because then like she might be having a conversation with her friend which just starts coming through and some my thing. And I'm uh -oh. like, turn it off, turn it off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stop it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I actually really like, this is quite a rich time, I think. Um, as a parent with a, with a child, because if they go into a tune together, like, so Dorothy will actually come in and play a tune, and I'm going, what is that? That's brilliant. So I'll shazam it. I'll grab it. And then she'll teach me a TikTok, and then we'll do a TikTok together. Obviously, it has to be a very easy one, because I'm a bit crap. But then I'll go, wow, that's like a moment in time, just wrapped up. And it's like, and that all comes from the power of music. It's not from yeah. anything else. You couldn't have TikTok without music, you know. So, it, but it's I love the way technology advances your enjoyment of music and how you can not only share it with each other, but then she can then like, don't she share the video of me with her. But she she dances with guys in Germany and America and everything because they do that sort of screen thing. And she just copies them, and it's like it's you know it's mind blowing how technology 
enhances music to, to take you to a special place. Yeah, I mean that's relative, uh, relative, relevant to you as well, is it? Isn't it? As a as a creative director, as a guy who's been around in the scene for a while, all I see all the time conversation in the creative world, campaign shots, etc., uh, etc., et is trying to what would you say, mechanize new technologies to get the most bang for the advertiser's book, to get the you know most return on investment for the client. And there's always this argument going on saying, no, no, it's about the strength of the creative. The creative is that is the, the trunk that stays forever. And the, the branches are these little YouTube adverts and TikToks, obviously, Snapchat advertising, Instagram adverts. Yeah. And so um, well, it's interesting that you know the creative, the music, those are the those are those strong things that continue. But um, how do you, um, I just wanted to hook back onto that and, and get your take on that, that little dichotomy yeah. that's going on. What do you think about the current trend for trying to cram creative into little five second adverts on YouTube and Instagram? Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think a cliche response would be, oh, no, it's rubbish. Can't do it. It's not as good as the old days, but that's, you can't be like that in the modern world. You have to evolve. Um, I mean, it is, I think you just have to be aware of what that space is trying to do. If it is only five seconds and you're just giving somebody a little taste or a little snippet or just a little tease or, you know, a little sample of something, it's like a tasting menu. It's not the main meal. So like, I like being part of something bigger. So if my only job was just to produce those little things, yeah, I'd be, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's I'm built for that. But I, I do like doing the big thing. And then I appreciate that you go, okay, we've made a 90 second piece of content, which, you know, might be, that's a rich piece of content. That's a film online, maybe it's cinema, possibly on TV, if you, you know, maybe like get even like one of those ones that takes over the whole break. But then that'll be chopped up into tiny little pieces. And so one of them might appear at the front of some YouTube content as a pre-roll, then you go, okay, well, you know, if, if you're smart enough, you'll be able to use it a little bit of it. I think the problem is when you go, that's the only bit you got. Then you go, you're, st you're starting from a space like that big. So if you're starting from, like, if you're a brand and you've got this big thing and you go, right, I'm going to just use that little bit there for pre-roll, I'm going to have some of this for radio, this is going to be posters, you know, you kind of go, okay, fair enough. And that, that's, that's what I always want to be part of, a big campaign. As long as you can stick it all back together and it makes a hole. Yeah. I think there is a trend, though, for, like, obviously, you know, there's always going to be people who are going to go in quick and fast and let's do that. But that's, like, any business, they're going to do that. But it's invariably, yeah, I don't know. I don't think it's, it won't, it won't sustain for me, really, I think. Because then, then that's, like, going, I've got five seconds to... Get the brand across, get our tone of voice, get our product in, get an end line. What, what, do, you want, what do you want me to do? You know, right? You can only do one thing. You do one thing, and you know, you have to, it's all, you know, it's, you have to go right back to basics and you go, okay, if it's a series of pre rolls or if it's a series of, I don't know, GIFs or whatever, then have a big idea about how to use that technology or, you know, I, I mean, it's not quite the same. I saw um, Kim Gehrig did that brilliant Chaka Khan promo where she just used GIFs throughout the... Um, there's people dancing, but it, they, they're just moving like every three seconds, that's all they do. But she's just so, she sewed them all together. Absolutely amazing. So, you know, that kind of quick snap culture we're in, this sort of five-second, three-second thing, as long as you can like subvert it or make it work for you, that's fine. I think if that's all you did, I think you may go potty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think some of the more there there was a project we were involved in last year, uh, and I won't say the client or the agency, but the fact is, it was can you compose a ten second track for an Instagram advert, and that was the only deliverable. And it was probably the most agonizing that's ever been done over a single yeah. piece of content. Yeah, the um, the smaller jobs with no money and those type of things are probably the most painful. You know, when someone can say, oh, look, can you just quickly do us a yeah, quick little radio ad or like, can you just write this little 
Instagram thing. They they end up being like, you know, quite fraught affairs because people have got so little money or so little time that they their little bit they're really really worrying about. You know, it's like asking, I don't know, asking quite a, a builder who does quite big jobs to um I don't know, put do like just paint the top of your wall. It's sort of it, but then you'll get fussy about it. It's sort of it feels like. Yeah, sometimes it's just, you know, you just got to grit your teeth and do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, what's, the, um, what's the best music that you have seen in an advert? I mean, it can be synced or composed bespoke, but what's the best one, in your opinion? That's nearly as mean, not quite as mean as your... Um, what's one record? <laughs> change your life. But anyway, it's not, because my life isn't all about advertising, and it shouldn't be. Um, so there, and there, are less, there are less brilliant adverts for great music on and there are great bits of music however there are oh god there are so many good ones i thought of two i'm just absolutely in love with the first one is called drugstore by levi's and this was by bbh probably at the peak of their powers um adam and i just joined them oh christ it must have been the late mid to late nineties and BBH were just they did that area be Levi's, Boddington's, Audi, Lynx, Murphy's, Johnny Walker. They they just had this incredible client list. And at the time, believe it or not, Levi's were the fucking coolest shit ever. They were like the jeans that everyone wore. Whereas now they're kind of like I think they're kind of obviously they're there still, but there's a gazillion other brands. But at the time, Levi's were, in, were the main brand in Britain. And um, every time the creative brief came out, the creatives would be like agonizing to, to make it because it was like the most high-profile work you could do. John Hegarty did the original one, which was like, I heard it through the grapevine where the guy, Nick Kamen, goes into a laundrette, puts his jeans in and puts a load of um, stones in. And it looks really weird. And he just sits there in his boxer shorts I'm sure you've seen this, but you haven't looked it up. You're probably too young. Um, but then he comes out and they're, st- they're stonewashing, just puts them on. I mean, at the time, it, you can't ex- imagine how mad it was. Nick came and became this sort of superstar, supermodel, heard it through the grapevine, went for number one, Levi's sold, you know. So it became this, um, it's about the John Lewis act, you know, what's the next one? Anyway, long story short, so... This one, this is when Levi's had, you know, done quite a few years of it and the pressure every year to do another one was great. And um, there's a team called John Gorse from Nick Worthington who's just somehow every year just smashed it out of the park. Everything they did was amazing. And I think this was them probably at their best. And it was basically, so it's a drugstore. So basically it's a guy who goes to buy a condom at the drugstore, yeah, and then in the evening he goes to pick up his girlfriend and the guy who opens the door was the guy who sold him. Condom, so it's like a kind of it's an old gag, but it was the way someone someone actually called it a Benny Hill gag, um, which is slightly unfair, but possibly it is. But then the way it's directed, Michelle uh, Gondry, um, you know, the actual legend who's gone on to do incredible movies in Hollywood, it was one of he was he was doing a lot of promo work at the time. Um, he was and he was really hot, and this was his sort of high point in commercials. And it was all shot in black and white, and it was oh, it was just amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But for, so, what, it was a great idea. It was brilliantly directed, but the absolute, you know, the topping, the, the kind of gold was the music. And then and any commercial, it's fifty percent. But this, there's something about it. I, I found out it's. Um, excuse me. Give me a minute. Uh, it's it's, by, it's called uh, Novelty Waves. Bio, Biosphere is the band. And it was a, it's a kind of like slightly drum and bass track. So on its own, if you listen to it, you go, oh yeah, that's quite a nice track. But when you put it to the film, it just hits every single point. And I remember just getting shivers down my spine watching it because it was just everything worked. Every, you know, you just it's so annoyingly brilliant. You couldn't you couldn't find a chink anywhere. The end line because the end line was something like. Watch Pocket invented 1873 and then it said abused ever since. Great line and great direction, great idea, shocking at the time. I mean, just I'm actually getting excited, just I'm getting tingles thinking about it. So that 
that music that was amazing um uh if it was going to be topped uh it was only going to be topped by one other team and that's tom and walter tom Carter and walter campbell they did the guinness surfer commercial which has probably been voted the greatest commercial time right so so again it's a bit obvious but the way the track syncs with the um film is just perfect as well so quite often you'll have a great bit of music and you put it to the film and you're going, yeah, it doesn't really work. And yeah, it's great tracks. David Bowie, whatever. Going, yeah, but it doesn't work with the film. And then, you know, sometimes it'll be the other way around. And you, they've got to come together. And if they do, then you're going, oh, wow. And I'm always surprised, you know, sometimes you put a track on and you see the film and it starts to edit. It's like they kind of knew each other were coming. You know, like the edit, edit starts syncing up. It's just like amazing. And you go, fuck, oh, we've got a winner here. So although I think on Tom and Walt when they did it, I think they spoke because they were so cool. They were just so ahead of the curve. They, I think on without they knew left field, um, the guys who wrote the song. So I don't know whether they, they hooked it all up before even, because they were, they were single released as, as the Surfer commercial came out. But what I love about it again is there's this um, dialogue at the beginning of the Surfer commercial where it goes, tick follows talk. And it's written by Tom and Walt, but then it feels like it's just part of the song. It feels like it's, you know, they're all together. It's not like, hey, here's a piece of film, here's a piece of music, and we kind of try to glue well, them together. together. Yeah. This was like, it's just one thing, and it's amazing. Um, and it, again, the left field track is quite, it's kind of like, quite sort of nightclub-y. It, it, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd play it on its own that much. It's quite cool. But like I said, when you put it with the film, it's it's just it's just amazing. I mean, I'll never forget when I first saw it. So I knew Tom really well. Tom and Walter, we used to show our book to when we were kids. And um, he told me when it was going to be on it. It was United were playing Bar, um, Bayern Munich in the Champions League final. And it was on the, they were going to get the treble if they'd won it. And I was at the Haverstock Arms and the Haverstock Hill in Hampstead with all my mates and uh, getting right royally drunk. Um, and it came on. And that, that was the, the first time it was on and everyone in the pub watched it and went, you know, like, it was just one of those spine-tingling moments. Great ad, great night. It was, like, amazing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've never considered that really quite romantic idea that you just put forward that um, a piece of music can somewhat be orphaned floating in space waiting for the right piece of film to be synced to and then it's as if it was written bespoke for it. That's a lovely um, way of putting it, orphaned. You know your yeah. stuff, don't you, Greg? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Not yet. Um, I think I, I just uh, listen to people like you and I'm good at faking it. But um... no, no, it's, I think that's because otherwise, joking aside, you'll end up, you have to believe that. Otherwise, you're going to get into this fucking, the data nonsense. Like quite often, so if we're looking for a piece of music, you can brief some people and they'll just, they'll just take a keyword out of the title of, piece of work you talk to them about and I put it into a I don't know like some sort of word searching and just send a bunch of songs with the word sunshine in. and you're going yeah but you've got to go more you've got to be further than that and I always that's always what throws me a bit about music because we wouldn't exist if there was a formula to choose the right music every time and believe me there's no for, there's still no formula you know you, you talk to composers you, you do searches you make it up yourself is it going to be sound effect you know that's what I love about putting an audio track to a piece of film you just never know what it could be or will be so it might be a tune it might be a composed found you know it's it's and so I kind of there's never there's never one way of doing it so far there's an absolutely brilliant one that if you haven't seen it I recommend it and I'll send you a link that came out in February by Leo Burnett uh, for McDonald's, obviously. And I think the creatives were called Steph Ellis and Rory Hall. Uh, but right. I, I, found, I found it to be a really moving piece. And it's, I think it's called McDonald's Night Workers. And it's about... Oh. Did you see it? Yes, very good. Yeah, so I, 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 that was one of those, you know, where it evoked a, it evoked mm. a response that I wasn't prepared for. Because usually you know, because I'm relatively young, I can still be quite cynical about advertising being like, all right, where's the bit that it's going to try and get me to buy the thing. But I found it really moving. 
I, but then, see, McDonald's and Leo's brilliant relationship, and they, um, but then McDonald's are something they invest in advertising, they invest in great ideas. You, you can see it, it's that they have a heritage. You know, if you look back at their kind of, if you watched a reel of their ads over the last 10, 20 years, you'd say, oh, yeah. You know, I know like people run McDonald's down and stuff, but you know, as it's sort of fast food, but it's, you know, I kind of don't see any, I, don't, I just see like a brand, just a brilliant. Brand and they, they they really listen to their agencies, you know, not just Leo's in, in Britain, you know, around the world, McDonald's, they really, I love I love brands who invest in, in advertising and believe in the power of music, you know, yeah. because it's 50% of the commercial. And if, you, if you're with a client who understands that, I mean, one of our nurses spots, so I'm going to digress here a bit, but the, the direct, it's not always the agent. You know, you never know where it's coming from. It might be an agency idea who get the music. It might be a director. It might be an editor. Quite often, I go to a first edit and we go, "Oh, just get an editor to put a track on, yeah. Just stick something on, and we'll we'll figure the music out." And then you come in, and you're going, "Oh my god, that is brilliant!" And so you kind of always hope that's going to happen. But then, quite often, from the outset, you like on one of our um, ads, me and Lou had, um, we had this track, "I'm a Man." For the nurse, um, the male nurse one, it, it sounds obvious, but it's a really great tune and it was really emotional. It's Spencer Davis group, and we just knew that's what we wanted. And that we edited for that. We said to the director, "This is the track." Um, but then on the most recent commercial, well, the one sorry, the penult, the one two ago, we worked with this amazing director called Billy Boyd Cape from Academy Films. Billy's an amazing director, really young, super energetic, just an amazing guy. And he said from the outset when he pitched to us. Um, he said, and this is the music track you'll, you'll hear. And it's a quite a brave thing to do because quite a lot of directors go, it's going to be a bit like this and, you know, it would be this sort of casting. But, you know, you're keeping your options open, right? Because you're thinking, especially in the NHS, because we're going to be a real hospital, you don't quite know what's going to happen. But Billy put his neck out and said, you've got this track. It's this one. And then it, I'm going to shoot. And he, he put everything in. And I went, oh, my God, this, you've got to go with it. And it was funny enough... Um, Greg, it was a, tr a track that he said he listens to and he writes. And uh, he said it's, it's an eight-minute bloke for some, I think it's a, I should know the name. Sorry, guys, can't remember it. Um, hmm. Like some sort of German or Italian composer. Again, it's, you'd never find it. You'd never know it was there, but it's in his noodle. And um, it just, it was brilliant. And again, someone might go, where'd you get the music from? And go, oh, the director came up with it straight away or sometimes you're going, it was the last minute and we finally got, you know, so it's a very, um, it is very arbitrary. It's interesting that it sounds like from the way you're describing it, uh, the, the music and music and advertising is a sync business and bespoke is less the thing you'll grasp for immediately. Why do you think that is? Um, I don't know now. I think it might, I don't know, maybe, I, I'm not sure if that's right. I think, okay. it, I think you end up with the music you end up with. Um, it doesn't really help, but you, because, because of the job you're on. So if you go, so I know one of your questions was, have you ever been irritated by a client not choosing the music you want? But I kind of, if I'm going to be a bit mature about it, you kind of end up with what you deserve because, or you end up with what's appropriate because, you know, there's a budget, so, you know, budget is one of the main um, issues. There's um, taste in music. So, you know, that's the most contentious, most um, polarizing thing in the world, music on an advert. I hate it. Why? Don't know. Give me another one. Don't know. You know, it's just, you know, and you go, but that's, that's like my best mate composed. That is brilliant. No, don't like it. My wife hates it. You know, so it kind of, it's very subjective. So there is no, I, I find it really, it's a quite a, um, a tense moment in the process. But then you end up with, you only, you, I think you only end up as good as your client because ultimately they are, they are the final decision maker. They will, they're paying for the work, you know, it's, it's their thing. So you can moan as much as you like, but if you haven't put something in front of them, they, they like. So I think... You do end up with what you end up with. I, I'm not a believer in sour grapes at all. I think you, you look at the work and you go, well, that was, that was what was affordable and that was what the client liked. We, and it was our fault if we didn't, you know, change them. So I'm kind of, 
I think music's huge, and I think as an agency or as a creative, you have to be really ready to keep going, go again, try something new, scrap it, do sound effects, sing it yourself, I don't know. Um, it's just, because it's such an amazing world out there of music, it's so naive to just go, oh, we're doing more on the track, we've got, oh, go again then, you know, so I'm very, I'm very cool with, you know, I don't believe in if someone rejects it, it's over. I go, well, we'll get something else. Yeah. Well, that's probably a good segue to the next thing, which was because originally I just phrased it as young composers. But I also, I, I really mean young artists, young people who are creative, right? Obviously, you, you, yeah. know, you know, this one's coming. Why should young creative types, artists, illustrators, filmmakers, musicians, uh, work in advertising as opposed to in other media. There's, there's, a, there's a cynical underbelly to the question, which is a lot of people I know view advertising as, well, you're just selling someone else's stuff and you're using a kind of magic show to sell it. Uh, yeah, money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good luck making money being an artist is the, is the very cynical answer, right? I mean, look, you say it in jest and it's a quick and funny, but it's sort of true. Advertising is uh, where art meets commerce, you know, and I'm, I think as a young lad, I used to, oh, maybe I've had my moments recently, I still think it's like kind of an art form and all oh, people are messing about on my words and that, but ultimately it's a business and that's in the business of, you know, selling products or creating awareness and blah, 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 blah. So you, there is room, there is room for artists in it, um, but I think it all has to be, you know, for a reason or a cost or for a budget. So, I would sort of approach it the other way around. If I was a composer, an, a, an illustration artist, I wouldn't go and want, I wouldn't actively go and work in advertising. I would do my own thing and wait to be discovered, or, you know, discovered, you know, because then, then that's interesting because I go, oh God, why don't we, you know, let's get that guy to those, those, um, fly posters for that album for that band so something's nothing to do with advertising and you go well, i want that you know what i don't want is something already in advertising because that's just feeding itself and it's not new you know the whole yeah. thing is we it's great people in advertising you want to find something new it's sort of it, you know it's insatiable the demand for it but it is because then that's what's going to make you memorable and let's remember your commercial and remember the brand and blah 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 so I think, you know, if I, I would say, yeah, advertising is what it is. I mean, I saw, I saw a short film two days ago. I really liked it. Um, and I wrote to the woman and I said, I loved your film you just did. And I think she wrote the music as well. Uh, and she said, oh, thank you. And we had a nice little chat. And then I said, do you ever do commercials? And she said, oh, no, not yet. But, you know, I'd love to, I'd love to be interested. I said, look, okay, well, I'll, you know, I'd love to work with you at some point. So that, that's how, for me, it works. You, because like, you never know when you might need that person. You, someone might say, oh, God, we need a director with this sort of touch or that, or we need someone new or someone who hasn't done ads before. You know, you, you're constantly looking for new inspirations or something which isn't what everyone else is doing. I hate it when I see... I hate it, but I get incredibly jealous if I see a brand or a competitor or someone doing something really cool, which I hadn't thought about. So, like, I don't know, uh, mixing animation and live action, say, the first person who did that, you go, Carl, that was good. You know, the NSPCC ad where there's a kid and it's an animated kid. And it's like, God, it's really clever. And you think, shit, I wish I'd done that. And so maybe the creatives had seen a short film which had that in. So I think all of these things like, short films and illustration people do illustrations and you know they're, they're all working in their own sort of space and they i i suppose if they wanted to get into advertising they can but i think it's sort of in a way it's better to try and get discovered or you know gently be um introduced like that i think if you actively go into advertising like, it's, I think it's fine as a creative because that's your goal. You want to create for advertising. But I think if you, say if you just said, I'm going to just write music for adverts, then you'll end up just writing music like all the other adverts. And then it'll be a quick and slow death. Uh, not quick and slow, but that's, that's contradictory. A quick death. Um, but I think if you go, 
do you know what? I just love making music. I'm going to make, uh, I'm going to make a promo. I'm going to do something for my friend's short film. Uh, I'm going to do something to help someone's kid sleep. And I will actually might do something for a mate of mine. He's in, in advertising. I'll do, so you kind of, you know what I mean? You kind of have those different areas to develop your skill. Not sure if I've answered your question. No, 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 you have. It's interesting because I was reading, uh, I went on Dave Dyer's blog, as you recommended, and oh, yes. um, a long interview with Bill Burnback. And uh, mm. he was talking about his way into the industry. And uh, Bill, uh, Bill B of DDB said, uh, it's because I, I wrote something to get into an agency, but the reason they liked me was because he wasn't an ad man. He said, my mind was uncluttered by culture. He didn't know how to think like an advertiser, which gave him an advantage. Yeah, no, that's a very good way of putting it. I think that that's what we're permanently trying to do, I think, is to not think too much like an advertising person. So then when your adverts come out, they appear, you know, different and they stand out. And then that is, that is a skill. And to, to keep doing that, you have to keep looking at new ways of doing things. I think. Yeah. Do you uh, do you, do do most creatives, and yeah, do most creatives within agencies? Do they usually have side hustles? They're usually making something else, trying not to just feed the beast. I think I think it's become it has become a bit of a thing, uh, which people do, which is I think it's great in a way. Um, because it it gives your brain a rest from advertising and it, it's like a kind of, you're going to give it another workout but in another place so if you write poetry or you like to I don't know, write music it's brilliant, right? So then it's like giving your brain a rest um, so then when you come back to the advertising it's like you've, you've had a nice little holiday but not just a holiday, you've also done something which could actually feed back into your day job as it were although yeah. I always think there's kind of, not really a day night thing you kind of you're always on a little bit um, but I think yeah I think it's good I think the the only trouble with it is as long as it doesn't become your main thing or you're doing it because you're a bit shit at being a creative or you're not, you haven't had much success I don't know I think I'm, I'm very up for focusing on the work and making sure you're doing everything you can uh, to make great work, whether it is on an account you've been put on or proactively work on other accounts. Because, you know, most agencies have a brilliant roster of clients. And even if they don't, you could proactively go out and say, I want to do some ads for the local restaurant or for a courier service or, I don't know, you know, there's a whole world out there that which you could give your services to. But I think you're right. I think if you just write ads all the time, you will quickly become quite sort of one-dimensional and you need to continually take inspiration from other places and yeah, maybe flex your creative muscles and other things. Cause then like I said, when you come back, so, so I did, I had about three or four months off a couple of years ago and then I ended up doing a short story writing course and I did a course on meditation. I did like a bunch of stuff which I'd never do normally. I came back in, I felt really refreshed. I felt like I was you know, just starting over. It's brilliant. Well, rather than feeling a bit, oh, God, you know, here we go again. I, don't, I never feel like that. I always feel like, right, let's go. You know, that's, um, so I think that's really important. But I only found that out because I, I left a job, which I wasn't that happy in. So I think, you know, you have, you have to kind of, every, every cloud has a bit of a silver lining. We've gone over the hour, Mark, so we're going to do the last oh. two questions and we'll... Uh... We'll wrap it up. So, first one. Right. Best creative shop you've worked for. Which one was it, if you can say? Um, BBH under John Egerty was amazing. Like I was talking about a little bit earlier, it was absolutely incredible. So that was probably, it was an amazing experience. And then when I went to Saatchi's, worked under Dave Droga, just for a very short period, about two years relatively, but it was incredible. And uh, the way he drove that agency. And uh, Egerty and um, Droga were really opposite characters. Egerty's very measured and um, very cool, you know, very erudite and, um, you know, quite classy. You know, the BBH output was very slick. And, and, whereas Drogo was a bit more like 
just see the pants make stuff happen. Just don't don't fucking think about it. You know, and they were both incredibly successful at, at different ways of doing it. So yeah, those are two the two agencies I I thought were great. What about a, a shop you haven't worked for that you think is awesome and you would love to? Yeah, it's really quite a long list. I think um, uh, I love Mother. Everything Mother do is brilliant. I love the way they were. Um, Droga Five. So I suppose I could sort of half claim that to work under Droga, but Droga Five, wherever Mother and Droga Five, wherever they are in the world, they're amazing. Same with um, Wyden Kennedy, absolutely phenomenal. Um, I think Adam and Eve, obviously, is just a, a brilliant British agency who seem loved all around the world as well. So yeah, I mean, all, all any and all of those would be great. I think uh, <laughs> I'm fine though. You know, I don't. I don't hanker about wanting to work for one of them now, but if one of them got a chance, I'd, you know, I'd do it. I think one thing, though, you don't have to work for a trendy agency. I think it's where your head's at and the brief you've got in front of you, you know, so you have to apply yourself. You could have the greatest opportunity in front of you at a slightly shitter agency, but if you don't see it and hanker, it's like, you know, the grass is greener. You might have actually the best-looking girl in town, you just don't know it, or, you know, you can do a Leicester City. You know, Leicester City, were they going to win the league? No, but they did, so... I think it's always about what you've got in front of you. And, you know, for all these, for all the cool brands, there was a time when they were just one of the B-list clients at, a, at someone else's agency, you know, that launched the agency. Exactly. exactly. The one thing I was going to mention, sorry, just want a quick word about Honda, yep. Wheaton Kennedy. Um, the, 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 the whole, everything Wheaton Kennedy did on Honda was incredible because it, it was that thing, it was new. Every, everything they did was like, wow. Never seen animation like that. I've never seen a cog turn for you know two minutes to turn the thing on to do the thing, blah blah blah. But I thought music was incredible. Grr uh, was a song written by a creative based on a speech um, from Honda's CEO or president about how disgusting diesel engines were, and that is amazing. Not only was it brilliantly written, it was brilliantly performed, and it was um it's outstanding black pencil. And then the other one I loved of that was choir. So they got a choir to sing the sound effects of a Honda. I mean, when you just say that sentence, you smile and go, oh, that'd be good. And then how the fuck do you do that? Well, we'll find out. So I think Honda, uh, anything, I know we've talked about this before, if you're doing a thing about musical sound, Honda and Sean and all their guys, Tony Davidson, anyone at Wigan, Ryan Kennedy, they, um, they definitely deserve a mention. They're outstanding work. Well, I'm going to make it my business to talk to them about these projects because they've obviously got a lot that we need to hear. Good, good man. Sorry, I think that's it. I, I, I knew that was one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, but that's it. It's quite all right. And so, uh, but you've um, given me a lot of time and uh, that's, uh, there's obviously a lot of it going about at the moment. Time's a, a less uh, valuable no, currency. <laughs> exactly, Greg. Well, you've, you've, you've got a good moment, you know. Obviously, we were meant to get you up to Manchester at the start of uh, this month. Uh, God willing, we'll be able to do it. I'll be there, mate, before you can say... Zoom, zoom, I'll be there. But uh, it's been great speaking to you and um, I look forward to doing it again. Thanks, Greg. Real pleasure. Take care of yourself, mate. And you. If you enjoyed this podcast or if you've got any questions or would like to be featured as a guest, do get in touch. I can be reached at greg at gasismusic.co.uk. That's Greg with one G, by the way. G-R-E-G. Thanks again for listening. 